Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We've used science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you. And you too. And you too. Me so too. So you can't hear any of that, Todd? I could I was just thinking about that again, and I know I say this every time, but it's so amazing, and they're getting even better because I every time the guy talks, oh. I hear it. It's a little muffled, and you can hear a little bit of the music, oh. but the second he stops talking... You just talking, muted yourself or something. Uh, oh. Something. Uh-oh. My I am just oh. stopped. Hold, hold on. I have no... I'm going to switch oh, over to there. this mic. Did, did that work? I hear you now, yeah. Okay. It was having the same problem because Zoom was uh, hooked up to the Yeti, which only works for however long we were just sitting there, a minute and a half, and then it stops. So I switched huh. Zoom back to my um, just external microphone yeah. on my Mac. So Oh, sorry. I want to make sure that... <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I was looking at the readings on my recording just to make sure I'm still feeding <laughs> oh. that mic. <laughs> um, technology is... It's getting wild, and uh, we before we started recording, I was demonstrating how if I tell Zoom to use the camera on my iPhone, which is yeah. a wireless connection, I can then rotate my iPhone so that the the picture is spinning, if you will, and somehow it stabilizes everything and keeps it from moving. And I don't know if that's the iPhone doing that or oh. Zoom doing that or Apple, the wireless connection between the two or like Elon Musk's satellites are doing something <laughs> like I have no idea. Yeah. And it was instantaneous because you were yep. rotating it until you spun it really fast. I like, couldn't tell on my end. Yeah. And I was spinning as fast as I could. And then you start to see some. Some zoom, yeah, some yeah, 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 some little blurring and stuff like that. And I technically, because you were using, I asked you how you're using your phone as your um, zoom camera, and you said, and, and I know from the Not Nerd podcast that you can use external video feeds, but either I, I just said my, I'm still, and they're gonna cringe at this, Dave and Nate, that I'm, I'm still on <laughs> um, iOS. I don't know. 10? Four or whatever <laughs> it was, a ten point fifteen point seven. I'm running Catalina because because um, I'm always afraid to update. But maybe updating my computer will allow me big to do that. Sirs happened since then, and something like I'm on. I get because every time. I mean, that's the oldest thing. Every time I update, because I'm not a. I I use my computer a lot in my very specific things, but then they all break every time you update them, and and so it's just sure. whatever. It is what it is, as Nate is fond of saying. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, you we are in the midst of the cold snap uh, yesterday. Saturday was the the big storm eats day and you guys were personally affected. Yeah, we lost power for six or eight hours or so. So we <laughs> were dumb and we chose to leave the house and go <laughs> to see a movie. And so we went and saw... Poor Things with Emma Stone. 
Have yeah. you heard anything about that? I have Dave actually speaking of the Not Nerd podcast said that he saw it and he I when he was trying to describe it to me, he just kind of ended up with surrealistic. Yeah. And then <laughs> like that, walked away confused. One. Yeah. Uh spoiler alerts if uh yeah, uh I will see it, but I'll forget whatever we yeah, talk about it, here. It's so there's basically no danger for me. A reimagining of kind of a Frankenstein story. Uh, with a reanimation and everything and the the plot is is interesting but the the visuals the universe that they create is as seen through the one that gets reanimated and so it's very abstract and surreal and colorful and steampunky and beautiful it's done really really well and of course it uh, we we did a little behind the scenes looking last night and it's done using the LED screen thing, like you know, Mandalorian famously kind of pioneered. Oh, oh, oh right, right. And that void, I think they call it. Yeah, and so it's really engaging and deep. And uh, Emma Stone is incredible. And uh, yeah, it, it was it was really interesting, and at the same time, like shocking. And not, you know, it was we literally went not knowing anything about the movie and it definitely surprised us uh, uh <laughs> like at every turn so we saw that and then i mentioned that we'd seen like three really astounding impactful movies i would say that that's one and we saw um last night uh two nights ago uh here in the house we watched um maestro with uh, uh, okay uh, Bradley Cooper with Bradley Cooper and boy I'm not a huge Bradley Cooper fanboy but he gets lost in that character you do not see Bradley Cooper which is well, I was shocking I was yeah and I was watching some something on like that movie and it was <laughs> he apparently went he studied conducting for five years just to be able to conduct because the final performance I think is like just a one shot of him conducting something yeah. or other. And so he, he went to conducting school and they were like, does that mean he like went once a year five <laughs> times? Does that mean like, what is, what are we doing here? I mean, he, he personifies Leonard Bernstein and who was America's first great composer. And he, knocks it out of the park just interesting yeah just, i don't really know anything about leonard bernstein other than he was shouted out in the i think it's in the end of the world as we know it and exactly. i feel fine which leonard make, bernstein! It makes a little reference in the in the movie and oh funny it, and uh he um but it's it's shows his love affair with his wife and uh the other escapades that he has and and just it's it's really an, an outstanding movie. Cool. Um, and then the third one was Saltburn. Uh, have you okay. seen or I've heard, heard the name, but I don't know. And maybe so, I don't need to know. Like, So I don't know if it's a science fiction. I don't know if it's a, <laughs> a chemistry-based film. <laughs> Sodium chloride <laughs> against your skin. Uh, <laughs> it's an Andy Warhol film of just someone <laughs> holding their arm. They're getting a salt burn. Oh, my gosh. And uh, 
that that movie is really shocking like uh is it so what genre would you say that it it is so it's it's technically a period piece from 2007 (laughs) okay i i watched i've watched dozens of videos of the director giving her uh synopsis of things she's like yeah it's a period piece from 2007 that's so funny uh but it's gives a glimpse into British aristocracy in the modern age and one character who tries to wedge himself into that is probably the best way to put it. Interesting. And, uh, and so the, the production was able to get into and use as a filming location, one of the great estates of England which has never been in a movie before. There are wow. no there are no photos of it online. And the contract included it will never be used again. And so it's phenomenal and eye-opening and they basically didn't touch the interior. They filmed as is in the interiors and it's, you know, just as enormous as you can imagine the well the i watched aristocracy i watched a movie uh this friday night the new episode of how did this get made came out and i always watch the movie uh ahead of time and it's a movie called um the king's daughter with pierce brosnan okay and it's and it's about um louis the 14th i think who did versailles and all that yeah. um and it was filmed like in and at Versailles. And I was like, there's no way this is a set because like, this is like insane or whatever. And right. then sure. And it was, the movie is insane because it's also, it's about Louis the 14th and his quest to kill a mermaid to <laughs> live forever. There you <laughs> go. Like, what? Which is why it was on. How did this get made? Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, but it, it led me into this whole, um, uh, rabbit hole of I was like well so this is the f- 14th century 15th century something like that like 1460 or whatever and the show Versailles has all of the fountains and I'm like well now how how do fountains work when there's no <laughs> electricity and so like yeah. I fell into this whole rabbit hole and I almost did it for a topic but it was it's super short but it's called the um uh, the something machine the Mary moral machine or something like that but um Basically, it's a set of like 10 gigantic paddle wheels and the sign or the sane or how I don't know how they say that. Yeah. And it somehow and it like yep. it did work very well, but it was the basis of. But yeah, it was just basically slowly pumping up that water up a hill and filling a reservoir and using gravity or yep. whatever. So it was yep. kind of a cool route for this that. But same thing in Rome, like uh, the Trevi Fountain has been around for centuries. And yeah. Uh, same deal. Yeah, it's just it's, incredible. It's wild. Wow. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to check out especially poor things looks looks crazy interesting, but Saltburn now sounds like Saltburn, yeah. And Saltburn is not for the light of heart. Uh it is uh not safe for work. Uh there's there's <laughs> a lot of really shocking, very uh it it's in your face shocking. And so interesting. It's not gory necessarily. Uh there's one scene that has a little blood, but is this like based on true ish things no. or like no. it? Okay. No. <laughs> okay. So interesting. Well, all right. 
yeah, it, uh, I I highly recommend it. Uh, but there are like TikTok videos now of I'm watching my mom watch Saltburn, and it shows the scenes of like and the maze scene, and she's like. <laughs> and, and <laughs> the graveyard scene she's like right <laughs> <laughs> well is that in theaters still or i know no, it just got no, some it's, golden it's globes. a netflix movie okay and uh and so it was oh, okay it was released it had a limited release in theaters back in september or something to get it to qualify for right. stuff but um yeah it's uh it's on netflix and available on netflix Interesting. I'll have to check that out. And and I think uh, Taylor Swift's Eras Tour just hit uh, Prime Video. Oh, so nice. Decide. I'm curious just to see another giant scale concert like that. And I can't decide whether or not I want to do that before next month when I, me and Brian go <laughs> see Madonna or after. So right. it's three hours long, though. So oofta. Well, should we turn into some news Indeed. Here? Um, this seems to be a continuing story because there's always seems to be updates yet still nothing is ever happening, but marijuana meets criteria for reclassification as a lower risk drug. The FDA scientific review finds so marijuana has a lower potential for abuse than other drugs that are subjected to the same restrictions. Research from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration say in documents uh, supporting its reclassification as a schedule three substance. Um, they called for the reclassifying as Mara as a low risk drug in a letter. So 24 states now, uh, two territories and uh, D.C. have legalized cannabis and 38 allow for um, its medical use. So that's pretty amazing that over the past 10 or 15 years, how that's expanded and without much like there was some outcry at first or whatever, like All people right. were freaking out. But I, it's really become like a non-issue it seems like but i'm hoping this i mean i we still really do need to research a lot of of marijuana's effects especially on younger people and teenagers because it's been showing links to psychosis and some other things for um, misuse of it so i'm hoping all of this leads to more investigation um about its effects so Speaking of weather, dis- well, how were the, when you drove to the theater? Oh, yeah. So we drove to the theater. And, what were the roads like? I mean, I know it was super blowy, so it was hard to see, but as far as like <clears throat> slipperiness and all that. Yeah. And so it, um, there was no moisture yesterday. It was all frozen, everything from the beginning. And so there wasn't, it, the roads weren't wet and then it got cold. It got cold and then ice and snow came down. And so it was incredibly wispy and windy yesterday. And so it looked like the roads were covered with smoke. It yeah. had very, it was very Midwest yeah. looking. And, uh, and so we, we went down to Clackamas, uh, to get the right movie time. And, uh, did you take 82nd or did you take the freeway? We took the freeway. Because okay. I wanted to avoid the, the the big danger for our car. You know, we've got a Passat, whatever. It's front wheel <laughs> drive and does fine. But if there was a drift of the the super dry snow, it just stopped you, right? It, and <laughs> there was there was no slushiness to it. There was no. It was just. It was like 
visibility issues. No, no, no. It was like dry styrofoam. And so your car would just go into it and wouldn't be able to do anything. It'd be weird. It it was so, it was super weird. So I wanted to stay as on, on the thinnest part of any ice as possible or any stuff. So we went on the freeway, which was, which was super easy. And then we got into the parking lot and there were a few drifts in the parking lot. And as we were leaving, after we saw the movie, as we were leaving, I kind of got caught in one and we, (laughs) so Nick is just freaking out on me, yelling uh, (laughs) next to me. I told you, you know, the whole thing. But to his credit, he, (laughs) before we left, he's like, well, I'm bringing my big jacket and i'm bringing a a jug of water just in case we get (laughs) trapped somewhere and so he was ready to pull those things out like why would you need that you know you don't we're not we're just going to the movies and back and (laughs) and so he almost got to pull those out and say i told you so but fortunately i did the rock forward rock back rock forward rock a little further back rock forward, yeah. a little forward and we got a little momentum going and then we were able to break free and yeah. uh thankfully i didn't like just gun it and dig in dig in further yeah so and, i haven't it's yeah, been it's one terrible. of those rare times where now it's on day two where i haven't even left the house at my old house everything was flat and so i can at least get out to 7-eleven or whatever but now i'm on the top of a 500 foot hill yeah and so it was weird though because i mean it seemed to be that snow icy snow all day but it just didn't ever seem to accumulate to anything like our grass isn't all the way covered right. and and but I'm on the middle. I mean, not a huge hill, but there's a little bit of an incline to the part of the street where I'm living on, and I'm about halfway up. So I don't know that if I back out and then try to go up the hill, if that's even going to work. But yeah, everything is so I just so dry. It's weird. Yeah, it's, it's a, super it's a dry. dry cold. It's a dry cold. It's ten degrees everywhere. It's like high of fourteen today. Yeah. And, yeah. So I'm hoping right. by tomorrow enough people because I'd have to go down the hill here, which is a pretty main road, and then up the hill into Oregon City, which is also a mainish road. Right. So and, and there were a bunch of things canceled yesterday. It was like it was gonna be gay pride night at Winterhawks and they canceled that at the last minute. And Amy Poehler and Tina Fey yeah. were in town. So they I think they had two shows and the first one got delayed and the second one got canceled. But the, I was reading an article about uh, a couple ladies who came down from Seattle and they're like, I know that the easiest and best way to get there would be the train. And so we'll get on the train. And so the train had to pause a couple times to unfreeze the tracks, but then it got stuck uh, and couldn't go any further four miles from Portland. And so <laughs> oh, they traveled no. you know, three and a half hours or something and then basically could see Portland in the distance <laughs> as as the show was starting. They were there for three and a half hours waiting for some g- poor soul with a, with a blowtorch to come and heat up the switch so that it could switch tracks and it let, bring a bunch of cats in to sleep on top of the rails the whole way. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it, it was pretty impactful wow. on, on some things, but more impactful is, uh, getting, getting ready for six weeks of TriMet max disruptions, closed stations beginning Sunday. So the, on the max blue line, 
running only between Hatfield Government Center and Northeast 7th and East 102nd Avenue and Cleveland Avenue, trains will arrive about 15 minutes throughout most of the day. Uh, the Green Line and the uh, is has some disruptions, but the Max Red Line is suspended. Riders should choose other trains or use shuttle buses, and the Red Line is the one that goes to the airport. So okay. that's that's pretty impactful. Riders headed to the Portland International Airport from the west should board a Max Blue Line train, then take a shuttle bus oh, from the man. Gateway Transit Center. At Gateway, riders will transfer to a different shuttle bus to accept the to access the airport. Shuttle buses will depart every 15 minutes. Man, sounds that terrible. Would st- stink trying to get to the airport with all your luggage and having to go on the buses. Three, and all two, that. two buses and a train. Yeah. Well, in other disastrous news, the iconic (gasps) fruit, I had several friends reach out immediately via text to let me know this news. Iconic fruit stripe gum to be discontinued. I know. The gum, which was invented in 1969 by James Parker and originally distributed by Beech Nut, featured several uh, five striped flavors and a slogan, Yipe Stripes. Um, the gum's current manufacturer, Ferrara Candy, said it was a difficult decision, but it was time to sunset the product, a move that was not taken lightly. We have made the difficult decision to sunset, which means slowly fade out, I'm, I'm guessing, in yeah. corporate speak. Yeah. Uh, but consumers may still able to be able to find the product at select retailers. Todd, so. we're sunsetting your position. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, which that's is never good news. <laughs> What I heard in every job I ever had. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so fr- yeah, a fruit stripe gum. I mean, the best 10 seconds of your life, that gum. <laughs> it's just, so good. And then the worst 20 minutes after that. Uh, yes. Yeah, but that the flavor was so distinct, so unique. And that that had the the zebra, right? The Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The zebra mascot. And uh, I'm gonna have to look and see if I can find because it's been a long, it's been a while since. In in, so when I was in high school, there was a trend where you would take the long gum wrappers and fold them into a way that you can kind of weave a long rope. Yeah, and that was a big idle time activity apparently for us '90s kids. And so my friend would do that in one of classes, and he would use the fruit stripe gum, and so it would be all the different colors. And but yeah, that it's such a distinct flavor. I'm surprised they haven't tried to make other candy with it, a, or like partner with Slurpee or yeah. whatever, because huh. it's so good. Um, all right. Okay. Well, how about we do the segment that we call. Mark reads just the first parts of the news story and not the whole thing. <laughs> just copyright. Just what goes above just, the subheadline. Just the just the tip of the article. Just, just the, the tip. tip. Astounding ocean temperatures in 2023 intensified extreme weather data shows. So yeah, there's a long article about that, but mostly it was about how the um, the ocean is what absorbs most of the heat in the atmosphere, and it's very clear that they are. Uh, continued to rise to, quote, astounding levels. Also astounding, the rich now own a record share of stocks. About 93% of U.S. households' stock market wealth is held by the top 10%. So crazy. So concentration of wealth is really what's going to untie our country. Yes. Uh, That's that's what happened in the 1800s. 
and it's it's going to repeat well, that's itself. That's literally what built the baby boomer generation that they all tell us to yep. that they want to go back to, except for giving us any of the fiscal policies, <laughs> policies right. or opportunities they were they were given. Um, but there's also this ongoing debate that the IRS um, is going after the higher income people, and what they're receiving in return is obviously in greater magnitudes to the money that is spent going after them. So in other words, right now they're going after people like me who make like a dollar a a day and they're taking my, their 70 cents back or whatever, but they also had to pay themselves like $15,000 just for operational costs. Well, when they go after the rich, they're getting like millions and millions and millions for that same Mm $15,000 or whatever. So of course the Republicans are fighting to uh, lower the amount of, of um, High income people and um, increase the amount of low uh, low income people being audited by the IRS. So, speaking of the stock market, Microsoft briefly retakes stock market crown from Apple. So Microsoft is nipping at the heels of longtime leader Apple in the never ending race to be the largest U.S. company. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I don't think that lasted very long, but it's um, indicative because I don't know that Apple is doing all that well right now uh, in the stock market. But um, yes, yeah, shocking news for the the not nerd, <laughs> the not nerd hosts there. <laughs> <laughs> and DNA from ancient humans gives clues to common diseases. DNA locked in the bones and teeth of more than 5,000 humans who lived in Asia and Europe up to 34,000 years ago are providing vital clues to a myriad of present, excuse me, present day medical conditions. One major discovery, Northern Europeans have relatively high rates of multiple sclerosis because their farmer ancestors carried a gene protecting them from diseases affecting sheep and cattle. Other, other findings from the research project include things about height, risk for other illnesses, lactose tolerance, and uh, vegetable eating, uh, which goes on to an an ability and tolerance to live solely on a vegetarian diet probably emerged about 5,900 years ago in Europe. Oh, interesting. So before that, you had to have meat. Interesting. It does seem like it would make more sense that we would adapt away from eating meat especially like living in caveman times or whatever where like hunting was the sole way that you got meat it would have been handy to like get out of that cycle because it's easier to get plants than it is to to get meat but yes (coughs) so the northern yeah northern europeans tend to be taller and they they all tend to have the crazy hand disease (laughs) that that i have too ah well our feel-good story to end our news cycle, a former Fox <laughs> News host books removed from Florida schools. More than 1,500 books have been temporarily removed from Florida school districts this week. 1,500 books this week. But the good news is two of them were written by Bill O'Reilly. The oh Florida fe- the fl- oh, Listen to this bullshit. Excuse my, excuse my pejorative tone as I read this article. What do you think a book banning organization's name would be, Mark? Yeah. It- <laughs> not yes, the florida be... freedom to read project <laughs> yes My the word. florida freedom to read project recently obtained a list of books or maybe this is the good guys that have been temporarily removed so maybe they're just okay. overseers so okay 
I'll give you a pass this time for the Freedom to Read project, but it, that is very much like what a book banning organization would call themselves. So uh, the books temporarily removed include Encyclopedias, the Guinness Book of World Records, and two books from uh, Bill O'Reilly, one of them Killing Jesus, a history Killing Jesus, a history and killing Reagan, the violent assault that changed the presidency. Yeah, he has a whole series of killing blank yeah. for, for some reason that his ghost writer apparently had on the <laughs> shelf that he just threw his name on. Um, the list also contains titles from David Baldacci, Stephen King, John Grissom, and Nicholas Sparks. In a statement to Newsweek, Escambia County Public School Superintendent Keith Leonard said, I want to clarify that our district has not imposed a ban on over 1,600 books. Additionally, the dictionary has not been banned in our di- – how sad. We have to clarify this. Uh, the dictionary has not been banned. Any claims suggesting otherwise are inaccurate and should be disregarded. So um, Bill O'Reilly is furious and he says the removal of his books is absurd and preposterous. He said, what I'm going to do is find out exactly who made this decision. Ron DeSantis to temporarily take them out of the library in this country. And I'm going to ask them for a detailed explanation. Uh, He added that he's seeking further action by Ron DeSantis which seems to be circular logic and a one-stop one-stop <laughs> shop for all of your problem solutions right there. Wow. Um, in Florida, a widespread ban, a book ban was signed into law last year by DeSantis, who is running for president, prohibiting those determined to, uh, prohibiting those determined to feature, uh, determined to feature pornographic material and describe and or depict uh, sexual conduct. So I imagine his books are on the list because, um, and I'm hoping because rabble rousers have figured out that if they just add conservatives names to these books they'll understand (laughs) that um but yeah the books are not banned but they are on they're checking them out to to um assess them or whatever but bill o'reilly's last income source these books i don't know what he's doing these days i haven't checked it in him for a while but nobody has nobody has Let's take a take a pause that refreshes here. Yay. Everyone get their hydration and their Stanley cups out <laughs> that they got their Christmas. And um, so the topic this week is something that I've kind of had on the back burner for a while. Um, it's something that I heard kind of years ago and meant to dig into and then started hearing again in grad school. And so I flagged a... Um, a, a Google Scholar article just to show you how in-depth we're going here. Uh, somebody wrote an academic paper uh, to debunk the Stanford prison experiment. And uh, years ago, I heard that this was done kind of in the in the same way that I've also heard that the alpha wolf thing, you right. know, the, the way that the, it has all been debunked, but I haven't looked into it yet. So I don't I don't know why. Um, but I've heard several times in several of my classes references to the Stanford prison experiment, but never noting that it has mostly been kind of taken apart from an academic standpoint and shouldn't be regarded as really anything. And then so then I get to be the guy in classes be like, actually, the Stanford <laughs> prison experiment was debunked. So I wanted to look a little bit into uh, today into um this longer paper by Thibault Le Textier uh, from the Université de Nice Sophia Antipolis, 
so wherever that is from, it sounds either French or uh, something. But he wrote uh, this long paper that you can look up. It's called Debunking the Stanford Prison Experiment. Um, so I'm going to kind of highlight a lot of the things that he went over in that to talk about that because it is something, if, uh, if we don't know, the Stanford Prison Experiment is this famous experiment done in 1971 uh, conducted by Philip Zimbardo. Uh, who has a great name? He sounds like he should be like a, a carnival, a carnival magician or something like that, next to the Zoltar machine. Um, but it was basically, uh, let's take X amount of students from uh, Stanford. We will cast half of them in the role of prison inmates, half of them in the roles of prison guards, and we'll see what happens. And the whole thing within weeks. Uh, devolved and like to abuse and torture the the guard the people in the guard roles uh, took this crazy authoritarian you know beating and and the the prisoners and the prisoners became like meek and helpless like so and everybody's kind of heard that we'll hear it like when Abu Ghraib comes up we'll like well the Stanford prison experiments show that even a reasonable person will turn into a monster in these situations and right. and like I didn't realize how often it was used to just excuse like white people behavior yeah, <laughs> or whatever totally. so uh, conducted in, uh, by Philip Zimbardo in 1971 the Stanford prison experiment is generally regarded as one of the most famous experiments um, it's been featured in TV documentaries handbooks uh, still used like I said in academia sociology criminology uh, all of this stuff but it's been widely criticized in the past 47 or so years um so some of the uh the, not only were there a lot of unethical things going on in the experiment themselves especially as it purportedly devolved into physical abuse and like withholding of of water and food and all that um a lot of it has to do with um, the confusing situation for the participants. Um, it wasn't realistic, but it tried to be realistic. So there's all these situations and things that are coming up that um, that uh, aren't really adding up from what Zimbardo kind of has sold it on uh, over the last half a decade almost now. Um, so, for example, two-thirds of the guards did not commit any of the sadistic, uh, sadistic ask for personal kicks. The experiment seemed to rather show that one cannot transform people so easily into sadists since the majority of them were not acting that way. And we'll, we'll see a little later on that even the ones that were weren't really doing it because they were suddenly turned into sadists after a week on the campus of, of Stanford University. Um, they examined the possibility of demand characteristics, which is kind of what you um, do as you're instructed just as a part of a thing, an experiment, things like that. Um, so um, just as as an overview, 150 college students uh, were provided with a description uh, of the procedure used in the Stanford Prison Experiment, and they advertised uh, were to recruit volunteers, uh, a description of the rights and privileges, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they, they went and asked all of these people afterwards, you know, because these participants are still alive. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but they've been able to talk with them. Um, uh, let's see. In 2002, two British psychologists uh, conducted a similar experiment in collaboration with the BBC, which was filmed and shown on TV in 2002. Um, and the findings were also different used in the Stanford uh, prison experiment, even though it wasn't exactly the same. But they, uh, those people concluded that people do not 
automatically assume roles that are given to them in the manner suggested uh, in the SPE, they keep calling this Stanford Prison Experiment. A few years later, based on a replication of that um, selection process, they argued that the participants in SPE might have been self-selected among the men who choose to volunteer for a study advertised as, quote, psychological study on prison life may as well been drawn into it to fit their particular personalities. Uh, It's hard for us to imagine otherwise particularly because the study is advertising has last more than a week and would likely place participants in an unusual and intense situation. So the self-selecting criteria of that kind of selects people that might be um, drawn into that anyway. Um, other critiques emphasize in part, in particular, that Zimbardo acting as the prison superintendent not only was in, in inserting himself into the experiment, but indicated to the guards how to behave during the guard in, uh, orientation. Uh, it's been wildly uh, criticized for unethical treatment. Um, and Zimbardo has ignored or attempt to refute his distractors uh, every time. It appears that his attempts have succeeded because a recent series of content analysis of psychology textbooks and criminology and criminal justice journals revealed little conver- uh, coverage of these criticisms. Textbooks uh, who have no doubt, who have not, who have doubted, excuse me, the veracity of these experiments have sh- maybe have simply chosen not to include it. So yeah, I've had actual, not just in lecture things, but in text textbooks that are new that are like do the little call out to the side of like the Stanford prison experiment. Um, so this author who, who wrote the paper, the, the, the French guy whose name I won't try to uh, repronounce, <laughs> Uh, said that he began his study with a thorough reading of all the publications. Uh, almost all these documents have been digitized, blah, blah, blah. So he conducted those searches. He looked through archival material, uh, analyzed hundreds of documents, six hours of recording of the experiment, 48 hours of audio made during, before, and after the experiment. Um, and the findings from the finding from the archival content analysis were supplemented by um, interviews with 15 of the participants and um, compared with other textbooks for any other uh, discussions that might have come up. So the description discussion of the archival content analysis that we've all been waiting for uh, had a couple findings. So one, it found that in designing the Stanford Prison Experiments, uh, Zimbardo bo- uh, borrowed several key elements from student experiments conducted three minutes before. Uh, number two, the guards knew what the results Zimbardo wanted to achieve were and how to achieve them. Uh, the guards were asked to play a specific mm. part, but not informed uh, that they were subjects. Uh, number four, the prisoners could not leave of their own will. And five, the participants were almost never completely immersed in the unrealistic situation. And six, the collection and reporting of the data were incomplete. So mm. looking a little closer at those, uh, the Stanford um the experiment itself grew out of a student experiment that uh, one of Zimbardo's students did in, in um, called the Toyon Hall experiment. So for that, five students were picked. Um, uh, they were presented with a couple different um, um, ideas that uh, they could pursue, and five of them picked the effects of prisons on prisoners. Uh, it involved six guards, six prisoners, and a director. Um at first, the prisoners tried to assert their individuality, but soon obeyed the guards, with one exception, a female student who would fight their authority until the end. So one hero lady in that first experiment. 
Uh, when that group presented the results, uh, Zimbardo was apparently very interested and asked the five students to file a report. And so they did. Um, one of them uh, was a former, con- oh, the undergraduate leader introduced them to a former convict, Carlo Prescott. And Prescott became a consultant on the Stanford Prison Experiment. And the undergraduate leader would serve in that experiment as the prison warden. So already a, a highly unethical way to um, insert the the viewers into the experiment. Zimbardo copied several elements from that, how the prisoners were arrested, how they were chained, how they were stripped to wear a uniform um, with a number, how they were scheduled, their physical exercises, blah, blah, blah. Um, But where Zimbardo had always asserted that the guards made up their own set of rules, the archives show that out of the 17 of the rules for the Stanford prison experiment, 11 were directly copied from that original experiment. Hmm. Zimbardo did not mention that the Toyon Hall experiment at all in in any of the slide the slideshow he used for 20 years. Uh, an article in 1999 briefly mentioned the Toyon experiment um, and the Lucifer effect. The book that Zimbardo devoted to the experiment 36 years later addressed it only in an end note acknowledgement that the rules used in the experiment or quote were an extension of those that. Um, his warden and his comrades had developed for their project in my social psychology class, but he did not specify what that project was about. In 47 years, Zimbardo was given the Toyon Hall experiment credit only twice. <laughs> so uh, the second thing, the guards being trained, uh, Zimbardo himself has maintained that the guards and prisoners were left free and reacted spontaneously to the situation. Uh, he stated that neither group received any pre-specific Uh, any specific training in those roles. He asserted that, quote, the guards had no formal training in becoming guards, were told primarily to maintain law and order, not to allow the prisoners to escape, and never use physical force against the prisoners, and were given general orientation about the negative aspects and psychology of imprisonment. Um, The guards, uh, according to the experiment results, the guard invented their own impressive way of mistreatments, such as uh, stripping stripping the prisoners, spraying them with the delousing prep, um, and making them stand alone naked for a while in the cell yard. Uh, nakedness was one of the common punishments, as was placing the prisoners' heads in nylon stocking cap- caps to, to simulate a shaved head, chaining their legs, and repeatedly waking them. Um, they would say that their bathroom privileges were up at 10. So if they had to go to the bathroom, they had to do it in buckets in their, um, in their cells. <clears throat> there was a rebellion on the second day. And so the guards took the blankets off the prisoner's cells, carried them through undergrowth, underbrush until they were full of stickers and burrs. And the prisoners had to, um, spend hours picking them out, even though it would essentially be useless because there were so many of them. Um, so that was another one of the guards things, apparently, um, uh, the archival material revealed that this narrative of the guards becoming spontaneously violent is inaccurate for five reasons. The guards knew what the results were supposed to be and were given generalized, uh, of action. They, they knew they had to produce, produce quote, a psychological environment because the physical prison did not suffice a round of its own. So they knew that just replicating you're in a cell and we're going to stand here wasn't going to do it. 
So the prisoners were driven to revolt or to despondency, not by an abstract situation, but by a regime of incarceration imagined by the experimenters and applied with more or less zeal. Um, the second one, far from reaching, uh, reacting spontaneously, the guards were given clear instructions on how to recreate um, a an environment that wasn't natural to it. So they created boredom, they created frustration, they created fear. There was no privacy. There was no freedom of action, uniforms, numbers instead of names, all of that stuff. Um, we have total power, they say in the situation, and they have none. Um, the third reason that's all might not be true is during their orientation day, the guards received instructions from the experimenters. Um, several guards applied to the program in county. Um, oh, excuse me. They um, so they were all kind of outlined. We're going to do these crazy counts every day and call out numbers. And like all of these things were outlined to the workers beforehand. Um uh oh, I think I lost my place. Oh no, there we are. Uh, the fourth the uh, reason that the guards weren't uh, this experiment was not a great one. The experimenters intervened directly in the experiment, either to give precise instructions to recall the purpose of the experiment or to set general direction. So they would do that with the guards. The one of the guards would say, "The warden, uh, who was Professor Zimbardo." Gave me uh, dire gave us directions to act a certain way. For instance, a hard attitude on Wednesday, following a leniency on Tuesday. Um, directions like that. Uh, number five, in order to get their full participation, Zimbardo intended to make the guards believe that they were his research assistants. So again, they didn't understand that they were part of the experiment and they thought they were just... Um, and we'll talk a little bit later about the, um, I'm blanking on his name down, but the, the experiment where they, the person of authority could get the guy to shock another person who they would oh, hear right. screaming in another room. Um, Milgram, I think that was Stanley Milgram. Um, and so they, they, in that case, um, it was kind of the same things to play how here they were, all the guards were carrying out Zimbardo's instructions, thinking that we are part of the experiment, not that the conclusion was that we are going to be portrayed as monsters for the next 50 right. years. Um, one of them said from the beginning of the experiment to the end, I thought the guards as being as a helping agent to the experiment, not actually part of it. I thought of the prisoners and their reactions and so forth as being the experiment. I took care to make sure that I played a guard as I thought a guard to be. I felt that any niceness on my part would eliminate me from the uh, exper uh, from the experiment. Hmm. Um, so getting into it, let's see, I might skip this little next, um, next session here, but um, it's just more examples of how the guards were there under false pretenses doing things um, to the, the, um, in car the people playing the prisoners uh he was like one of them is saying i was always acting i was very conscious of the responsibility involved in the guards and their experimenters positions um, most of the time it was a conscious it was an experiment it was hard to remember now what i was thinking but most of the time i was thinking i got to do this thing or else the experiment won't come off um, a lot of these participants were in it for the money um, and they thought that, oh, if I drop out to if I drop out, then I'm not going to get paid. These are all college students. Um, a reluctant guard, guard number five, who was asked two years later if he would do it again, said, I wouldn't sell myself for the role 
to the role for the money as I did in the experiment. I needed the money. And for that reason, I tried to stay on as long as the experiment would last. Um, um, so that was, that's, that's the, the, um, as far as wow. the guards go, but now let's get into the, the prisoners. So trying to simulate a prison experiment and expecting it to be realistic didn't really jive because it was not a realistic setting in any way, especially with instructing the guards to act in in certain uh, in a certain type of behavior. So the letters the prisoners wrote their friends and relatives during the experiment and what they said immediately afterwards also showed that they almost never lost contact with reality. We all know it's an experiment. It never occurred to me that I was entering a real prisons. Um, the guards did not forget it was an experiment either. Um, and so... On top of all that, the experiment was inaccurately recorded. In most of his accounts, Zimbardo had repeatedly claimed that his results rested on, quote, systematic record keeping and data collection. Uh, the archival materials revealed, indeed, that the Stanford Prison Experiment data are neither complete nor uniform. Zimbardo and his assistants did not collect any data on the third day of the experiment because they were busy thwarting a rumor of assault. Of the 150 <laughs> hours of the experiment, including orientation day, less than 15% had been recorded. Uh, which was six hours of video and 15 hours of audio. In the first academic account of the SPE, uh, they admitted that some of the data was subject to possible errors due to selective sampling, uh, that there are not complete data sets on the subject for each measure because a prisoner is being released at different times, and that experimenters have a relatively small sample on which to make cross-tabulations by possible independent or in, uh, individual difference variables. So they didn't record as much of it as they said they did they were busy doing other things <laughs> quelching rumors of, <laughs> of insurrection or whatever or, or just commanding the the guards to do worse and worse things um a few months after the experiment greg white another graduate student in charge of studying these videos also warns zimbardo quote the measures that i have access to most of which are reactive may be so incredibly biased towards drama dramatizing the situation that it appears as a more powerful experience than it actually was uh zimbardo never quotes data on real prisoners to which he can compare to his own even though such data was easily available he couldn't say, for instance, that he observed in his prison four times more assault or twice as much orders given than normal just because he didn't compare them at all to actual prisons. Um, the conclusions were pre-written according to non-academic aims. So when he was when he began to become interested in prisons only three months before the experiment, Zimbardo was already strong, uh, had already strong views on the subject as he would confide later, quote, my sympathies were heavily with the prisoners. I was anti-prisoner, anti-correction. Instead of trying to neutralize the potential e effects uh, uh, that his objectivity had, Zimbardo designed his experiment from the outset as a demonstration of the toxicity of prisoner. So um, how can we account for the long-lasting influence of the experiment in spite of its many flaws? Uh, flaws the author asks, I prefer four explanations. So basically, despite of how obvious it seems that none of this was done correctly or with good intention or recorded properly or, or done ethically or not Scientific. scripted. <laughs> right. This is this actually does seem more like a reality TV show set right. up where you're telling Kim Kardashian what she's going to do before they do it. So um, 
the author gets back to like, why did this happen? And he uh, has four ideas of why it happened. The first is that in his desire to popularize his experiment, Zimbardo, Zimbardo the Great had often made the Stanford prison experiment look more spectacular in reality than it really was. Uh, the second explanation is that the Stanford prison experiment has been a powerful argument in favor of situational forces forces in the different debates between personality psychologists and social psychologists. According to Zimbardo, the main implication of his prison experiment is precisely that, quote, individual behavior is largely under the control of social forces and environmental contingencies, things that occur rather than some vague notion of personality trait, character, willpower, other empirically unvalidated. So basically, this goes back to nature over nurture. And Zimbardo was like, no, 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 it's all nature. See? <laughs> See when I beat this person with a rod, this this poor student with a rod, <laughs> holding five dollars over his head, saying that if he doesn't comply, he won't get it. Um, and the fourth explanation is that the Stanford Prison Experiment survived for almost fifty years because no researcher had been thorough in checking it out. So, wow! Everybody just even in academia just kind of runs with the headline, and right. that's why our just the. Just, just the, the head headlines. or just the just the tip section is so popular so that we can all spread uh, misinformation but yeah so it's uh, that that was a a badly done um recitation of this much longer and and really kind of interesting paper called Stanford debunk uh or uh, debunking the Stanford prison experiment by Thibault Le Textier um from some French university. So if you're curious and it's written, some academic papers are written so terribly mm. and awfully that you cannot get through them. This one is not like that. Although I took out most of the in-text, what they call the in-text citation. So it's like Farber, 1971, Mursky and Duke, 2002, like that right. just burden the, the reading of them. But it is a really interesting um, reading, if you're interested, you can That's Google Google that. It should be on Google Scholar. Yeah, it's really but... really fascinating. Did you see the 2015 you know uh, movie that was kind of the the documentary slash recreation of it? You know, so... No, I know there's been a couple yeah. uh, Hollywood pictures, as they say, but I have not. I'll have to look into yeah. um, into some of those and find a find a good YouTube video to watch about it too. So. Very interesting, even in intellectual circles, how misinformation just sort of keeps propagating themselves because you think, well, this person who wrote literally the textbook on this thing has done their research and they're showing proof because of this paper written by this guy who did this experiment who has now taken it on the road to prove his little thing. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Fascinating. Indeed. Um, oh, we even ended short. I was I, I cut that down even further as I was reading through it. So but yeah, super interesting stuff. I believe we are two for two on our shows of 2024. So very happy about very happy about that. Thank you for taking the time today last minute to jump in there after you're playing catch up from being without power and all that. All good. This is great. Glad to be back in the saddle. Back in the saddle. So, yeah, listen to this. Uh, uh, as we continue, we'll be doing Portland at the movies uh, later this month. A uh, made-for-TV movie with not Heather. Lo yeah, Heather Lock. No. 
maybe Heather, Heather Locklear. Yes, Heather Locklear, I believe, is in it. Okay. I watched it the other day and have already forgotten. <laughs> uh, but it is sort of a um, a, a, a thriller. It's, I, I, it didn't say what TV sh- uh, station it was made for, but it seemed very USA because it's a thriller. And it's mm-hmm. got some sexy elements. But we're headed into sexy February because in February we will finally be getting to body of evidence. Awesome. And so I'm encouraging people beforehand not only to watch body of evidence themselves but to watch some of those other sexy thrillers that came out in the early 90s. Um there was of course body of evidence right. and then Sliver and Jade and all of those insane oh, yeah. sexy thrillers that were all over the place just uh, to compare body of evidence the one with the candle wax in the <laughs> yes garage. it is mark okay <laughs> yes it is there is a very very graphic uh um parking uh what do you call the underground parking garage. structure a, a parking garage scene yeah. that's is not as shocking as that one Jennifer Lawrence uh, fight scene where she's <laughs> naked in that one movie, but that one is done for comedy. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, get an eye full of Willem Dafoe, who quote has a quote confusingly large penis, according to somebody else that worked with him. So that may have been the may have been the case that I think Madonna personally selected him to be in this movie. I don't know if that's true or not. So <laughs> all of that is coming up. So thank you, everyone. Watch, watch Salt Burn. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. I'll, oh, I'll I'll do that tonight. I need something to watch tonight. Oh, so perfect. I'll watch I'll watch Saltburn. You can l- live text me as as you. Oh, I will. <laughs> as as penance for using your your Netflix accounts, which thankfully still works at my house. Perfect. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, what should we go out with? Any ideas? Oh, I've got a uh, commercial for Fruit Stripe Bubblegum. Oh, that would be awesome. So, yeah, we'll take you out with that. Listen to Fun Employment Radio uh, and do all all the things. So, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, kids. Here's chewing fun. My fruit start regular and bubblegum. Both have stripes and lots of fun with different flavors for everyone. Regular is fun. Let's try bubblegum. Sure, there's a whole herd of flavors in my fruit stripe bubblegum. Four delicious flavors. A great bubble fun. There's cherry. And There's a whole herd of flavors in my fruit stripe gums. Great bubbles, great flavors. Lots of chewing fun.